This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. Time to do The God Show again, and uh, I, for one, am glad, particularly because I have mixed feelings about this subject. It's, it's a subject that immediately does not cause me to feel great joy. Uh, sometimes we do programs that are filled with laughter, uh, filled with all kinds of entertaining anecdotes. But in this case, we're talking about the fact that there are predators in the Catholic Church. And many of them wear Roman collars. And before you turn to another program, or you turn away from the radio, I really would like you to listen to this because it will give you a different perspective totally on the abuse that all too many people have suffered at the hands of clergy. Not just priests, but let's talk about that. Let's talk with Tim Lennon, president of SNAP, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. And Tim, I can't think of a better person to be talking about this subject than you. Thank you for joining us on The God Show. Well, uh, Pat, I'm I'm appreciative of the opportunity to speak with you and um, um, speak to your audience. Last night, last night in preparation for this program, I watched a motion picture, an award-winning motion picture called Spotlight, Michael Keaton, one of the stars. And you know, uh, I know, Tim, I know you know that the plot line of Spotlight has to do with some years ago, the Boston Globe in one of the most Catholic cities in the United States, Boston, Massachusetts, doing a long-term investigative report of child abuse, sexual abuse of parishioners by Catholic priests. And it was one of the major scandals of its time. But it wasn't just Boston, was it? It was all over the world. Why? Well, I think there's a number of different kinds of issues. One is um, predators typically go to those institutions where they have access to children and the vulnerable. So that can be priests or ministers, that could be coaches, that could be doctors. And we've seen this like with the gymnasts or with uh, other people in institutions of power or even like in Hollywood, the producers taking advantage, using their power to abuse. But the Catholic Church is unique in the sense it's an institution um, that those that were educated and had authority um, decided to turn the other way and to see um, power and prestige as more important than the safety of their community. But Harvey Weinstein didn't take a vow. He didn't take a vow to God uh, in, in order to achieve the levels of sanctity that a priest is supposed to achieve many vows having to do with 
primarily sacrifice, and morality. Harvey Weinstein didn't take those vows. Bill Cosby didn't take those vows. But the priests in the Boston Archdiocese did, and priests all over the world did. Please tell me, having been involved as actively as you have in the investigation of these horrors, why it happens with people that it should never happen with? Well, that's a hard question to answer. And again, um, we can see that uh, there's bad people everywhere. The the question is, is that with priests, we see a great betrayal. You sort of uh, hinted to that in the sense these people um, come forward as um, representatives of God. And when I was a child, I'm a survivor. I was raped and sexually abused by a priest. Um, I saw the priest that raped and abused me as, um, you know, a, a pillar within my diocese, or a pillar within my parish or my community. Um, and so it was a, a betrayal of that calling, uh, for sure. Do you mind, please, because I find, uh, I find no curiosity on a personal basis, but I do find in this kind of a program a need for my guests to share their personal stories with the audience. Would you mind, please, in your own words, however you want to tell the story, uh, would you mind please sharing with my audience your personal experience with abuse? Sure, sure. Well, part of it is just my history. I grew up in a large Irish Catholic family in in Iowa. I grew up in uh, a neighborhood where everyone had large families. Um, Our parish uh, Monsignor was um, an Irish Catholic from South Boston. Um, And um, when I was uh, 12 years old, um, 7th, 8th grade, um, a parish priest who was assigned there, uh, Father Murphy, uh, another Irish guy, very charming, very um, outgoing kind of person, um, who um, sexually abused me over several months, uh, would take me to a movie or a baseball game, to the park, always where there was sexual abuse uh, previous or following such adventures. Um, At one point, I remember hiding from him when he came over to the house to take me to the park or something. Um, But there's also a very uh, cruel instance of uh, a very violent rape uh, where my life was threatened. Um, Thankfully, I emerged from that alive. uh, But I think at the moment, uh, uh, he did not care whether I lived or died. Um, at the time, I froze. Um, I did not tell anyone. I did not do anything. Um, and essentially, for 30 years, I didn't remember uh, any abuse. But after 30 years, um, I remembered some abuse. And I wrote to the parish and to the diocese and told them that 
I was sexually abused by this priest, that I couldn't remember everything, but I remember being abused by him, and that you should no longer be a priest or have access to kids. Um, they wrote back a dismissive letter just saying basically um, that it wasn't a big deal that Father Murphy uh. was dead. Uh. Um, yeah, it was uh, very disconcerting because um, there was no apology, there was no I'm sorry or that's too bad or how can we help. Um, it was just uh, that that was the times and Father Murphy is dead. But how could how could a religious organization uh, with more than a billion people all over the world, how could a religious organization so heartlessly, insensitively dismiss you as you have described what what experience you had as a 12-year-old? Right. And, and again, you, you know, looking back, it's... It, it, it's hard to imagine that there could be such a callous response, but working in uh, SNAP, in our organization, our network of survivors, is that story is not unusual. Uh, we have cases of, of bishops or priests saying, well, get over it, it happened a long time ago, or it only happened once, uh, or dismissing, like saying, well, Father so-and-so was such a nice guy. Um, in fact, um, Bishop Nicholas of Iowa told somebody in Denver, he said, well, Jesus was on the cross for three hours. You could have um, endured the, the uh, sexual abuse that you did when you were a kid. Disgusting. There so many times. Yeah. And again, you know, when we look at the church response, it's not just those individual kind of dismisses, but um, how the church has responded in general. In other words, We've seen memorial gardens. We've seen uh, the washing of feet of survivors. We've seen apologies, condemnations. Uh, the Pope has uh, said a number of um, quite interesting and positive things. But on the other hand, there has been little action. Um, we saw, you mentioned starting out the Boston Globe investigation that was highlighted in the movie Spotlight in 2002. Well, in 2003, the bishops, in response to that, because it got exposed, they had the uh, the Dallas Charter, where they set up rules and regulations. Um, but more recently, we saw the Pennsylvania Grand Jury um, that exposed a, a widespread complicity of uh, hundreds of priests. Um, and uh, a couple months later, we find that there's a meeting of bishops to again dress um, this issue. But again, it's only in response to being exposed. It's not like the church has taken action, um, you know, to respond to this. So both individually and as an institution, there's much to, much to change. There was a scene in Spotlight as I was watching it last night, Tim. We're talking with Tim Lennon, the president of SNAP, Survivors Network of those abused by priests. Hard for me to simply use that phrase. But there was a scene last night after the Boston Globe story, which had been itself covered up, not only by the church, not only by the archdiocese, but also some faithful Catholics in Boston who worked for the Globe dismissed it several 
years before and moved it aside. But finally the story was told, a huge revelatory story, the Sunday paper by the Boston Globe. And on a Sunday, some of the staff came in to the office and they were going to help with the phones. The phones that they assumed would be ringing off the wall with critics in that incredibly Irish community, that historically Irish community. Phone calls that would be coming in not only to deny the reality of the story, but also to uh, cancel their subscriptions to the newspaper. And the phones were ringing off the wall when a couple of the, uh, the reporters came in to help out. And one person on the phone turned to them and said that the calls were coming from victims. The, the phrase that he used was, they're all victims, which was a shock to the staff, of course. You say the average age of a victim coming forward is 52. Why does it take so long, Tim? Well, there's a number of different things that happen. Uh, one is that uh, most victims of child abuse never come forward. In other words, um, maybe 60 to 80% of people that are sexually abused as children never come forward. Um, and, you know, that's just part of it. And the other part is that sometimes the memories are so horrible and horrific and, um, if you will, dangerous that people try to bury them. Um, sometimes they bury them uh, unconsciously. Others bury them uh, through alcohol and drugs uh, or suicide. That's what we call ourselves survivors. We survive um, those curses of, of the injury um, through that. Um, and someone said that, one of the leaders said that we come into memories uh, when we have uh, the strength and ability to face them. And I think that's incredibly true. Uh, I found that uh, in, in my case. I was raped uh, when I was 12 years old. I didn't remember my rape until 50 years after the fact. And it was triggered. I had twin daughters late in life. Um, and when they turned 12, that uh, triggered or evoked the memories of my rape. Oh. Uh, that that sent uh, me for uh, many months of, uh, of depression, crying, nightmares, uh, anger, sadness. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, the average age is 52. People, it takes a long time for people to come forward. When I came forward in 2016, and this was, you know, over 50 years after I was abused, Ten of my classmates came forward. In other words, up until that time, until I came public, people didn't know. We find that when there's um, exposure about this issue, that it provides an opportunity for victims and survivors to tell a family member, to tell a friend, or to tell a therapist, or to call the police. Um, so when we do... Uh, events, uh, public events like this, 
Um, this is an important part of reaching survivors um, who may be suffering alone, and just an opportunity for them to see that they're not alone, that it's not their fault, that they can get better. I thrive. Here's here's something I don't think I've ever been able to understand. Uh, first of all, it never occurred to me as a young Catholic student that this ever existed. Uh, it, it just simply was one of those things that I had never heard in my life being discussed by adults, by other kids. But what I don't understand now that I realize how pervasive the predatory nature of so many Catholic priests have been over the years. What I don't understand is you at 12, what that priest could possibly have said to you as a representative of God that defended what he did to you? Well, um, I mean, I, I, um, I have uh, very bad and uh, horrible memories of this guy, and so uh, there's nothing good I could say about him. But I will say, since this is a religious program, to know that, as I mentioned, I was abused over several months, and I would go to these events at the park or the ball game or the movies, and on two occasions, he took me to other priests to confess my sins. In other words, here I'm the victim, 12 uh, years old, uh. and I have the priest, you know, um, obviously with his own demons and problems, but, um, you know, that that was my introduction to how he saw it, that uh, it was, you know, my fault or it was my sin. Um and you know when when I thought when when I had this very violent rape when I thought I was going to die, um, I, I I very distinctly remember thinking, why is God doing this to me? Wow. Because I so associated uh, the priest with God, and um, you know at the time I did not understand any of it. Uh, as I said, I, I basically froze. I was, I was froze. Do you consider it a psychiatric phenomenon? You mean for the priests? Yes. Well, I, I think there's a number of different kinds of issues, and I don't want to get into the psychology of that piece of garbage, if you will. But, you know, the question is two different things. One is, obviously, he was a damaged person and um but the other is that you have an institution that that requires celibacy and i know st um, analysis and studies show that at any given point 50 percent of the priests are not celibate so automatically you're starting with an institution that is you know not in keeping with what i believe human nature um so I don't know about you know that that part of it, but um, yeah, I mean to me there there's as I started out is that 
you know, those people that prey on children go to those institutions where they have access to children. And they practice grooming. In other words, they're charming, they're interesting, you know, they groom the child. And in fact, they groom families as well. Uh, they make friends with the families and uh, to get access. Um, so they go into these kinds of institutions where they have access and groom those kind of talents to, to enable them to, you know, abuse others. But that's part of the problem. You can say, well, they're just sick people and, and whatever. But on the other hand, you have an institution that covered up. And this is, to me, a real crime. In my case... Uh, Father Murphy, who was caught in three different dioceses, uh, three different parishes previous to coming to my parish. Mm. So he was caught in Danbury, Whitmore, and Fort Dodge previous to coming to Sioux City. Uh, my abuse lasted, uh, I don't know, three, four months, maybe six, but I'd say three, four months. And the reason it stopped was that he got caught by another parent and they sent him off. But not more than a couple months later, uh, going to a Little League baseball game, I saw him sitting in the car uh, at a Little League baseball game watching the other boys. Um, so the church knew, but they didn't control or call the police uh, when they knew that this guy was a sexual predator of children. Maybe they didn't know he was a violent, cruel rapist, but they did know that he sexually abused children. So a learned bishop um, who had high authority within the church um, did nothing. And what we saw in Spotlight or what we saw in Pennsylvania or what we saw in Iowa are all similar to the bishops who are covering up. The Attorney General of Pennsylvania said that the bishops of Pennsylvania engaged in a conspiracy to cover up sexual abuse that reached to the Vatican. Now, this is the Attorney General of, of Pennsylvania. This isn't, you know, me, an advocate, an activist. This is a law enforcement official saying this. We know that the state of, of Michigan just raided all the dioceses in uh, Michigan uh, because they felt that the church was uncooperative in their investigations of sexual abuse of children in Michigan. We've seen the diocese of Buffalo and Houston raided by the police. Um, so we know that there's widespread sexual abuse. It's it's no longer a secret, um, uh, which is good, which is good. And Since they're practicing, though, among the most heinous of crimes, crimes, physical crimes, sexual yes. crimes against children, uh, I must I must ask you if there is a conclusion that anyone has come to that these essentially are pedophiles first and then they are priests because that's an outlet for their pedophilia. Well, probably. Um, I mean, even if that's true, if the institution of the church fails to protect its prisoners, um, I mean, that should be a concern of any any and all Catholics. And we've seen a similar thing in this, in the Boy Scouts of covering up. We've seen that in the Jehovah's Witness. We've seen that um, 
in the gymnasts in Michigan, where the state of Michigan was covering up for this uh, vile predator who abused uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of young girls. We saw that in Sandusky, where the University of Pennsylvania covered up for um, this assistant coach. Um, so it's not just that there's vile predators in the world, and we can say, okay, um, that exists. How do we protect our community? How do we ensure the safety of our children? Um, but again, there's other parts of this, Pat, and that is that it's not just priests that abused. It's the brothers and the deacons. It was the nuns. Nuns abused as well. And it's not just boys. It was, at least in our experience, 50% girls. 50%? Um, yes. I'm surprised at the number. Well, you know, when the church did their self-analysis, they come up with maybe 75% were boys. Um, but in our organization of tens of thousands, um, you know, over half are, are women. And when we, in our public face on, our, on Facebook, our social media, again, this is involving tens of thousands, um, more than half are, are women. Half our leadership are women. Um, it's, it's just not as well reported. And there may be um, different kinds of social elements of why there may not be as much reporting. Um, but for sure, um, well, let, let me give you another example. The priests that raped and abused me, previous to coming to my parish, had sexually abused uh, boys and girls, about 50-50. Um, and I think when, because he got caught three times, he went to um, younger, uh, and he went to boys because I guess we were more amenable or something, um, or more exploitable. I don't know whether there's more access. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it, it's it's. But whatever whatever the statistic is, because I I've, I've seen the other statistic of eighty percent the church uses. Um, and some within the church, you know, want to use this that it was just homosexuals, but um, truly um, that is not the case. Arizona recently acknowledged more than 100, 109 priests living and dead in the diocese of Arizona. Uh, oh, and it, was a, it was a desire, just the diocese of Phoenix. It did not include... Uh, Northern Arizona or the Diocese You're right. of uh, Tucson. You're right. Absolutely right. And it's it's applicable uh, to some degree, some numbers, in every state in the United States. But we're talking about an international reality, aren't we? talking about that, Tim, around the world? I'm sorry, I missed that. Pat. I said, Tim, are we not talking about the the reality that this is an international sin that is being committed. This isn't just the United States. Oh, no. We saw in the, the Royal Commission in Australia um, and other investigations in Belgium and in Germany um, that, yes, it, it's, it's a worldwide kind of phenomenon. We have the third highest ranking cardinal, uh, Cardinal Pell, in Australia, who was recently convicted 
of uh, violent uh, sexual abuse of young boys in Australia. Um, he's still a cardinal. Uh, the Pope hasn't kicked him out yet. Um, he's still a bishop um, because the, the Vatican is waiting to see how the appeal goes. But um, for survivors, is a, a conviction by uh, a jury trial is sufficient to say that that priest should be out of the priesthood and should no longer have a position of authority. But rather than just simply defrocking the priest and not allowing him uh, that position of sanctity in any diocese anywhere in the world, how about if he goes right. to jail? <laughs> that would be my preference, um, for sure. Um, regretfully, we have uh, statute of limitation laws and weak child protection laws within the United States. Um, and where there's not sufficient accountability for uh, those that would sexually abuse children or minors or those that would abuse uh, adults. And I'll give you an example of uh, uh, sexual abuse of adults, which is fairly common and which we see a lot, is that uh, because of the Catholic prohibition against uh, divorce, if someone is in a troubled marriage, a woman goes in for counseling, and because they're in a vulnerable position, they're exploited and sexually uh, exploited. Mm. So there's sexual abuse of adults as well within uh, the Catholic community. It's not just the kids uh, or the teenagers. Um, it's also adults as well. Tim, have you, concluded, have you concluded, though, since it seems to be concentrated within the world of Catholicity, have you concluded, have the authorities uh, outside of SNAP concluded that this is primarily a problem of celibate people? Uh, is it because the church attracts pedophiles? Why is it that it happens within the Catholic Church, an unlikely area considering what the Catholic Church is supposed to stand for? Right. Well, um, basically it has nothing to do with celibacy. Um, and um, I, th I think the, the question is, is that part of the problem or part of the difficulty has been that those in authority within the church have seen that the, the power, the prestige, the authority of the church is more important than the safety of the community. So that um, when there's instances like you mentioned Spotlight or when we saw Pennsylvania Grand Jury, it should not take civil society to investigate, to find out about sexual abuse within the church. In other words, the bishops and the cardinals and those people in authority in the institution should be the front line of protecting their community. And they haven't. And, and it's a better question to, you know, the bishops is, why have you covered up? Why have you not been fully transparent? Um, I mean, to me, again, we can go back to that there's pedophiles, but how do we respond to them? Well, first thing, we need to get civil society to jail them. But 
if we have institutions that are covering for them, such as the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts or Jehovah's or other institutions, the Baptists, the Methodists, um, the sports teams, the universities, if these organizations are covering up, then they need to be held accountable as well. You mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses and Baptists. Uh, uh, we've been primarily concentrating on the Roman Catholic Church and its sins in this field. Uh, yes. Has SNAP ever determined what the percentage is of uh, abuse by the clergy that is exclusively Catholic and how much outside yes. of the Catholic Church? Well, uh, there, there's two different parts of that. One is a SNAP originally started just with the Catholic Church, but now we embrace all religions and faiths, whether it's Mennonites or Jehovah's or Mormons or Baptists or Methodists or whatever, Lutherans. Um, but, but what we have done is we've looked at uh, investigations, grand juries, and we found that about 8% of all priests uh, fall within the category of being predators, sexual predators. Includes uh, nuns, priests, uh, deacons, um, all forms of, of Catholic clergy. We have not uh, been able to assess a similar percentage as far as, for instance, Lutherans or Methodists or Baptists, because there are they're not as higher hierarchical or authoritarian as a Catholic. So uh, because of the unique, char unique character of Catholic, uh, we can find a pretty specific percentage of sexual predators. Um, but we assume that similar numbers are in uh, most of the other institutions. However, you know, we can't let the bishops off by saying, well, it happens other places too. No. Um, because the bishops have been responsible for covering up. And it's only because of civil society, because of the grand jury in Pennsylvania or the Boston Globe investigation or other investigations that we find out these things. It has not been because of the transparency and honesty, if you will, of the church hierarchy. And when we talk about the church hierarchy, uh, let's not just stop with bishops and archbishops. Let's not just stop with cardinals. Let's go to the top, and, and, and I'm asking you, Tim, as the president of SNAP Survivors Network of those abused by priests, uh, a young man who was raised in the Catholic Church, uh, how much responsibility... On this day in history, does Pope Francis have to accept? All of it. Um, for instance, um, he, uh, just a recent example, um, a cardinal um, was convicted of covering up sexual abuse. He went to the Pope, he offered his resignation, and the Pope declined it. Um, and he told this cardinal who was convicted of covering up, he said, well, you decide the best. So we can get to the Pope, and he has said all the right words. He's 
been apologetic, he's been condemning sexual abuse, he's given directives to the bishops and to the cardinals, um, but none of these are in the form of actions. In other words, one of the things he could do is he could compel every bishop to report all instances of sexual abuse to the police or civil society, to civil authorities. For instance, in the in in the Italian uh, conference of bishops, they decidedly rejected reporting to the police and said that it was up to the bishops to decide. There's other countries that we know of that have similar kinds of protocols that um, allows a bishop to decide. So it allows bishops to continue the cover-up and allow predators to continue to pray. So one thing the Pope could do is just uh, is to tell all bishops, report all instances of sexual abuse to the police. The second thing he could do is, when we talked a minute ago about transparency, why isn't the church telling the prisoners about this abuse? Why is it not uh, public knowledge? So the Pope could say, all information about sexual abuse um, should be uh, released and available to uh, local authorities for possible prosecution. Uh, he has not done that. Um, he could, for instance, do uh, something a little more dramatic than symbolic, and that is in the case of Cardinal Pell, who was convicted of sexually abusing two young boys, he could remove him as a cardinal, remove him as a bishop, remove all his authority and prestige, um, and defrock him. So that would send a message to the other bishops who cover up and know that they could be removed from authority, uh, removed from positions of power, and defrocked and, and thrown out. Tim, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here just so upset. I'm really emotionally responding to the insanity of the facts that you're offering me and our audience. Is there not one country, one archdiocese that has said, I don't care what the bishop or the Vatican says. I'm throwing your blessed butt in jail, just as I would with a teacher, just as I would with an attorney, or any other right. citizen of the community. Isn't anyone, hasn't anyone ever done that? Yes, uh, yes, they are. And again, you know, when when we point to the statistic of like 8% uh, uh, of predators, when we look at uh, maybe 50,000 priests, on the other hand, that means that there's 92% of the uh, priests and bishops or whatever or you know, trying to do their job or, or whatever. Um, but the problem is, and again, we get to, because it's hierarchical and authoritarian, we don't hear of in a priest assembly, of a priest getting up in an assembly and um, challenging his bishop by saying, you shouldn't be covering up, you should, you know, be releasing this information to the police. We have not heard that. 
the bishops just recently, all the American bishops just recently, recently met in Baltimore. Now, again, we don't know of all the deliberations, but we do know that no bishop got up and condemned those bishops who covered up sexual abuse. And there are lists of that. Log- logically, Tim, I think that anyone would assume that this didn't suddenly begin with a flash of light from somewhere and 8% of the priests became pedophiles uh, right. in, in our lifetimes. And I, I say this because having gone exclusively at least in upper education, to private schools, to Catholic schools, uh, high school and college. Never in my life did this even be a discussion point. Uh, There was no inkling of the suggestion of, of, of this kind of unthinkable sin and crime. The closest I think that I ever heard as a Catholic student, was sometimes one of the members of the Women's Altar Society uh, would say something about the fact that Mrs. O'Brien seemed to have uh, a special attraction to the new young priest. It was rarely ever or never the priest. It was almost always somebody that... uh, found the, the, the young uh, clergyman attractive, but never was there a suggestion when I was going to school and living on campus with the priests. Never right. was there a moment when this kind of thing was even thought of as possible. Has it always been? Well, yeah, I, I think... You know, there there's scholars that uh, go back to the 14th century that talk about sexual abuse by priests of uh, parishioners and and things like that. Um, there's a website uh, by Richard Sipe. It's a w r s i p e dot com, and he was well, used to be a priest, but he's a scholar and he has quite a bit of historical information about. Uh, sexual abuse within the church and about celibacy and about uh, the Catholic response and um, all, all those different kinds of issues. This is primarily not just an attack on young people. Is it not also an attack on people's faith itself? Uh, I, I can easily imagine people saying, sorry, uh, I want nothing to do with this kind of an institution and leaving total. Right. And and we've seen that uh, recently in the uh, newspapers uh, where they say that 30 or 40 percent of uh, Catholic parishioners um, are questioning their participation within the church exactly because of the, the revelations and exposures about the widespread and systematic sexual abuse. Do you still consider um, yourself a Catholic? No, no. I, I um, After high school, I, I went into the Army, and when I came out of the Army, uh, at that point I sort of dropped away from uh, the church as 
just not part of my life. It wasn't a conscious thing as far as in relation to my sexual abuse uh, because I have no memories of that at the time I dropped out. It just um, dropped away, I guess. Um, but I notice that we're up to the last minute or two of our, our conversation, and I just wanted to let people know that um, we ha we welcome calls at snapnetwork.org, and, um, you know, if, if they want to answer questions answered or need information, uh, I'm welcome for all calls. I'm listed on the website. Um, and I'm glad that you, you, you shared, I'm glad you shared the information. The only thing that so far isn't accurate is your watch because we have 10 minutes left. Oh, we do. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I guess I'm off. Okay. And the next 10 minutes will be even more profound than the last okay. 50. Um, <laughs> okay. You have a snap conference coming up too, right? Yes, we do. Talk uh, about that. Coming up at the end of, yes, it's coming up at the end of uh, July. Um, it's going to be in the Washington, D.C. Um, um, area. Uh, will be over three days. It'll be attended by several hundred uh, victims of sexual abuse. Uh, we'll have a number of uh, speakers. We have a speaker uh, from Child USA, Marcy Hamilton, who's a uh, professor. We'll have someone from the uh, Army of Survivors. Uh, that is the group associated with those that were abused, abused by uh um, the doctor, the gymnast. Uh, we'll have um, the woman, um, Savan, Savan O'Connor, uh, who was a whistleblower in Buffalo, New York. Uh, she dropped documents uh, exposing how the Bishop Malone there had covered up uh, dozens of uh, predators. Um, so uh, we have some very interesting um Presenters, and then we'll have workshops, and obviously an opportunity to uh, for survivors to meet other survivors. You were just talking about the incident of the uh, Olympic uh, medical director uh, for the gymnasts, and there yes. have and there have been others in that specific field in different f sports in different fields. Uh, there have been, of course. A fairly constant examples among coaches uh, and uh, scoutmasters and, yes. and teachers. And it seems that the one thing that they all have in common, medical specialists, clergy, uh, the, the people that we were just talking about uh, is scoutmasters and teachers, that they all, they all have an element of trust in association with those that they've harmed and they also are operating from a position of power. Yes. Is that fairly common? Yes. Um, yeah. I think that one of the statistics I read is those that are sexually abused uh, 
eighty some percent are people by people that uh, they know, um, and for predators, uh, they they want to be in those situations where they have access to children. Uh, can the church survive? Uh, I've I've really wondered, particularly with media being as uh, powerful as it is, with greater difficulty to hide these kinds of crimes than ever before. No matter how long the Roman Catholic Church has been in existence, it would seem to me that this is the greatest barrier for it to be able to get past. Oh, right. I mean, Patrick, uh, uh, Pat, this, that's just an amazing observation because to me the question is, you know, as a, a moral organization, you think the first thing you want to do is ensure the safety uh, of those the most vulnerable, the children and whatever. And so it is entirely perplexing of why... Um, why the the authorities within the church haven't had that as the the principal principal concern. In other words, why do they see you know power and prestige more important than that? So to me, um, I think it's a it's a valid observation, and to me it sort of points to that the parishioners themselves um, need. Um, to decide what kind of church they want. And they need to insert themselves. Um, and if we've seen, and we have seen in the last several months um, a number of different kinds of parish groups or diocese groups um, that are addressing this and that um, are hopefully um, appealing to their bishops to make the necessary reforms. But yeah, I believe it's up to the prisoners to decide. Tim Lennon, as the uh, president of SNAP, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, how do you feel, what is your official position, in fact, on the expansion of the statute of limitations when it comes to these crimes? Well, um, we believe as an organization that there should be no statute of limitations around sexual abuse, either criminally or civilly. And the reason is this. One is most victims never come forward. And if they do come forward, we know that the average age is 52. So because the harm and the injury is so significant and so deep and so powerful that it takes decades to come forward, um, I didn't come forward to some of my memories for 30 years, and the most violent and horrific, I didn't come, those memories didn't come forward for 50 years. So to have any kind of statute of limitations for both is, is not good. The other thing is that too many, or so many, I'll say too many, um, are bedeviled by uh, alcohol and drugs. In other words, a way to self-medicate or a way to dampen down uh, the pain and anguish, uh, the depression, the nightmares, uh, drugs and alcohol become a solution or even suicide. Um, so it takes many people to 
uh, emerge from that to gain the strength to face those memories and to deal with the harm that was done. I'm 72. Uh, I was raped and abused when I was 12. I can say that every day of my life, I'm affected negatively by the harm I suffered when I was 12. What propels me forward is um, a great amount of anger. What happened to me should not happen to another child. And so I am compelled to fight back uh, the depression and other limitations to use that anger as a way to fight back. Because when I was 12, I didn't or couldn't. And so now, using the inherent power uh, that uh, happens to be one of the things that we use judiciously on The God Show, uh, imagine yourself, please, in the private office of Pope Francis tomorrow. And you're face-to-face and there's nobody else in the office. What do you want him to do? I tell him that um, he needs to compel every bishop, every cardinal, um, to report all instances of sexual abuse. Or to ask him to open the books and to have every bishop and cardinal to open the books. Um, I would uh, ask him to compel the expulsion of any priest that was admitted or convicted of sexual abusing. Um, that would that would be a good start. The other thing is that we know that in Pennsylvania, in New York, and some other states in the East, that the churches spent $10 million fighting statute of limitations reform and stronger child protection laws. So the other thing would be to tell the Pope is to say that bishops cannot spend money to fight civil laws that protect the community or provide justice for survivors. Um, I would say to the Pope is you have to um, engage in every parish where you know that sexual abuse happened and to open the discussion and to invite victims to come forward. And will any of that ever happen? I, yeah, I, I, right now I would say no. I mean, because he's had the opportunity and he's giving the apologies. He's given the condemnations of bad behavior. Uh, he's chastised a couple of uh, actions, but he hasn't taken action. So um, I'm assuming that um, no action is going to be taken. For instance, in February, there was an international meeting of bishops in Rome. I was there. And uh, they around sexual abuse, um, 
several uh, cardinals and high Vatican officials met with survivors, or some survivors, I think they met with a dozen, um, but nothing came out of that meeting. And we thought, well, you know, that's bad. Maybe they're going to, maybe in a month or so, they'll come out with a new program, an edict, or something that would show that they came to some conclusion. But here we are, what, four months later, five months later, and they still haven't done anything. If you want so, something, if you want something to happen, I'm talking to you now, you listeners. If you want something to happen, and I know you do because justice ignored is something that creates the kind of anger that exists among people who are survivors of those abused by priests. Snap. If you want something to happen, contact them. How, Tim? How do we contact Snap? Yes, uh, we have a website. It's called snapnetwork.org. Um, and we have telephone numbers. If you go to the top line, you'll see contact. And you'll see my name. I'm Tim Lennon, the top of the page. Um, and um, want to ensure all those that have been abused, um, you know, to keep in mind that it's not your fault and you're not alone. Um, and I and other survivors are working to make changes that not another child is heard. It's a start. And maybe it began it for start. someone on The God Show. Thank you for listening.